Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. Are you ready to get started? I'm super ready. As am I. Last episode of the season. Last episode of season two. I'm very excited about this episode. I think that other people are too. We've gotten very, maybe I'm dramatic, but I would call it overwhelmingly positive responses about. Well, we only look at the positive responses. Correct. Let's be clear. So if you're sending negative responses, I have a bot that goes through our our accounts and we take them all away. Correct. You ain't sending them to me because I don't see negativity. I don't see Except it. in myself. Correct. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we've got a really, we've gotten a really overwhelmingly positive response to the first food allergy episode, so we're super excited to do this. Um, oh, I'm Sid. And I'm Jess. And this is Malpractice. (laughs) This is Malpractice. And this is Malpractice. This is Malpractice's first two-part series ever. You're welcome. Yeah. We wanted to basically do a follow-up on food allergies because this is a huge problem and not something that I feel like we were entirely aware of prior to releasing our first episode. Right. So if that one didn't make you reconsider opening a bag of peanuts in your cramped office space, we hope that this one does. Researchers estimate that 85 million Americans are affected by food allergies or intolerances, of which 32 million suffer from a potentially life-threatening condition, including 5.6 million children under the age of 18. And if that doesn't make you care, what will? I don't know. Nothing will, because that's a crazy number of people. So the the so-called Big Eight include foods such as peanuts, milk, shellfish, account for more than 90% of food allergies in the U.S. In addition, sesame is being increasingly recognized as a top food allergy, and that's from Dr. Pooja Varsne, a pediatric allergist at Dell Children's Medical Center and a clinical assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Texas at Austin Dell Medical School. So obviously a genius. Knows what's up. We love her. We're about to take you through these top 10 most common food allergies. And we want to say explicitly, if we haven't already said it enough and you haven't picked up what we're putting down, food allergies are super serious. They're serious AF. If you have a friend or a loved one mm-hmm. with an allergy or someone brings one up, you should feel a sense of like responsibility to protect that person as much as possible. Absolutely. We all need to take responsibility for just being a little kinder to the people around us. And if 85 million people have allergies or intolerances... Like, maybe ask the people you're going to a party with if anybody Mm -hmm. has a food allergy. What can I prepare for you? How can I make this, like, easier for you so that you can actually come to parties and stuff? Yeah, just, like, don't be a dick. Yeah, Yeah. basically, don't be a dick is the moral of the story. Okay, I'm going to kick us off with milk. And specifically, we're talking about cow's milk. And a milk allergy is different from lactose intolerance, and I'll explain how. So allergies to cow's milk specifically is the single most common allergy in children and infants and among the most common in adults. About 2.5% of kids under the age of three are allergic to milk and milk products. So that means obviously no milk, duh, but also no butter, no cheese, cream, whey protein, caramel chocolate, casein, which is commonly used in deli meats, bread, pasta, tortillas, and lots of other things. Like I did not realize how many things have milk things. products in them. Yeah, yeah, all the things. Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And even some soy or nut-based milks are manufactured in factories that share utensils with milk products. So you can't, can't trust it. <laughs> People who have real, like, crazy sensitive allergies can't even use those. Isn't that ridiculous? Did you know that? So I knew that only because of coffee shops. Yeah. Told me this, but um, I think it's just, like... Like, what do you, what does, what does one eat? (laughs) Exactly. Like, I straight up don't, if you can't eat bread, count me out. What I will say is that about 70% of children with this allergy can tolerate baked milk products. 
So when you bake or cook something, the idea is that you disrupt the structure of the proteins that actually cause the allergy. Mm -hmm. So your body doesn't necessarily always recognize it as like the labeled bad guy like we talked about in last week's episode. 20% of children outgrow it by the age of 5, and 70% outgrow it by the age of 16. So that's like a hopeful note, right? Yeah. But it can be pretty severe for that like 30% that doesn't grow out of it by young adulthood. The people who can tolerate baked milk products are actually more likely to grow out of it than those who can't. So if you have a kid who has a, a milk allergy, but they can tolerate baked milk, then in all likelihood, they're probably going to grow out of it. Um, there's been some recent reports of people having trouble in places like coffee shops where they are foaming lattes and release milk proteins into the air. And when I was reading about this, I was like, oh, my Lord. Yeah. Who knew Mm -hmm. about this? The air can harm you if you have these allergies. It's crazy. Yeah. And if you listen to our last episode, then you probably know that some inhaled allergens can be just as harmful as swallowed food allergens. Yep. Yep. And I think we talked about this last time, but just to recap, milk allergies are definitely different from lactose intolerance. Uh, Milk inherently contains a specific sugar called lactose, and in order to break that down to a form you can digest, your body produces an enzyme called lactase. However, for people who have a lactose intolerance, your body doesn't produce enough of that enzyme to make the lactose sugar digestible, and that's why lactose intolerance produces the following symptoms within about 30 minutes to an hour of eating a milk product. So that's stomach pain, gas and bloating, nausea, diarrhea, which basically sounds like a Pepto-Bismol commercial. Literally. <laughs> I was about to say. It's a, and, they, and it's so interesting because it's like one could have that and... And think that that was just how they experienced yeah. life, and they could really have like an allergy or an intolerance. AKA me. I thought that everyone got an upset stomach after they drank coffee with you cream in it. Thought this. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, everybody shits their pants after they drink coffee with cream in it, right? And you were like, no, no one does that but you. <laughs> And I was like, you are lactose intolerant. Right. Like, you are. Yeah. And that's basically how you diagnose it. If you have, you know, bloating, indigestion, diarrhea after you consume a milk product, then, like, in all likelihood, you probably have a lactose intolerance. And, in fact, it's super common. About 75% of the world, the entire world's population loses the ability to digest lactose at some point in their lives. I mean, we're not supposed to be... Drinking the milk of other animals that Can they you imagine produce. The first person who who did <laughs> who did that who? who saw a cow nipple and was like yum yummy yummy gross. <laughs> so watch out because there's about a two thirds percent ch- or two thirds chance that this shit is coming for you too. <laughs> so if you have a lactose intolerance, you've basically eaten something that your body can't digest. So the symptoms are entirely digestive, right? Yeah. And it can have genetic factors. It's pretty common. It usually takes longer to develop, so lots of people don't have lactose intolerance until they're adults. Hmm. And so one of the things you can do is take, like, a lactase pill, which helps your body process the sugar in milk products. Also, it's super important, especially if you're a postmenopausal woman, to make sure you're getting enough calcium. There was one study that found that women in this age range who were lactose intolerant had a significantly higher risk of bone fractures than those who were not lactose intolerant. Get your calcium somewhere else, though. Don't drink milk. Milk is weird. Right. Whatever. Fuck milk. (laughs) Um. (laughs) She says, as someone who loves milk and dairy. I love milk. I love cheese. I have a lifelong obsession with cheese. You do, yeah. So if you're lactose intolerant, you can sometimes tolerate a little bit of dairy, but you might shit your pants, so be careful. That's like (laughs) an understanding. Like the... The symptoms are not like horrifying. They're just embarrassing and awkward, and you probably will have and diarrhea. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Michelle yeah. gets like real pain. Yeah, like, she's it in can pain. definitely cause stomach pains, cramps, things like that. Yeah. So it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable, right? So lots of people just avoid it. You can take lactase pills if you uh, want to mitigate that. Also, big milk has this whole thing about drinking milk as a source of calcium, but you get the same amount, if not more, calcium in a glass of orange juice. So drink orange juice. So make a swap. Make a simple swap. Get some calcium in your life. 
Yeah. So it'd be swappy. <laughs> so some people actually have success with slowly rehabituating their guts to dairy by introducing small amounts of dairy often and ingesting live yogurt cultures that include lactobacilli bacteria, which actually they're a bacteria that move into your gut. They live there and they digest milk products for you. That just sounds so gross to me. <laughs> I know it sounds gross, but actually, as a human, as a living human, you have a higher number of bacteria cells living in and on your body than you do human cells. And that is disgusting. (laughs) No, I didn't. That is a gross fact. It's a gross fact, but also some of them are good. They can live inside your gut and make you basically not lactose intolerant anymore. I would rather they not live here. Thank you. Get out. Evicted. (laughs) Fair enough. They can live in mine. You live here all day, buddy. You go from Jessica's gut to mine. Get your U-Haul. You have free rent there. Go there. Yeah, correct. Um, But milk allergies are super different, and they result in similar symptoms to some extent with the addition of, like, hives and skin rashes, uh, swelling of your lips and or throat. In children, it's especially common to have bloody stool. Oh, God. uh, Which would be terrifying as a parent. Um, and then sometimes wheezing or difficulty breathing. And so if you experience any of the symptoms I mentioned before, plus these, it's likely an allergy, not an intolerance. Mm-hmm. And it can even result in anaphylactic anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. Mm-hmm. It also happens either within minutes of ingesting the milk product or it can be delayed up to a couple of hours. Jeez. But like I said, most kids grow out of this allergy. But if they don't, it's completely possible to live with this. You just have to be more careful. So now for my last thing, I have to bring us down just a little bit with a law that was passed recently in New York requiring that all daycare employees in the state receive education and training in recognizing anaphylaxis and the proper administration of epinephrine or the EpiPens that we talked about last time. Mm -hmm. And this came about because this sweet baby angel named Elijah Silvera was a three-year-old with a known dairy allergy who passed away at his daycare after being fed grilled cheese. (gasps) Oh, my God. Right. His parents actually founded the Elijah Alvey Foundation, which is an initiative designed to raise awareness on the severity of food allergies and to educate the public. So there is an amazing thing that came out of a horrible tragedy. But that's a law that was that's called Elijah's law. Are they suing the kind of all of those people? That's probably how this foundation was started, I would guess. Boop, beep, boop, because I cannot imagine. Woof. So that's what I know about milk allergies. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So second allergy is eggs. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. I don't really eat eggs very much, but. You know Eric does. I know. Y'all Y'all be loving a breakfast food. We love breakfast. Yeah. This is one of the most common food allergies in infants and young children, but actually people age out usually and it becomes less common in older children and adults. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. 71% of children age out of the allergy by age six. That's like a relief. Like when you think about being allergic to something and like keeping that forever, like just better, better to hope that you age out. But that doesn't mean that you can count on aging out. So you need to still be careful. Right. Definitely. If that is something that your children or family members or loved ones or yourself have. Yeah. About 70% of kids with egg allergies can actually tolerate baked eggs because heating disrupts the protein responsible for the egg allergy. Yep. Da 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 da. Similar facts. Um, <laughs> yep. But that does not mean you should just cook it and decide you're fine. You certainly need to check with your allergist before trying to bring this product back into your daily life. Like, yeah, sure. People just were like, yeah, I'm just going to cook it. And like, they're still allergic sometimes. So you got to be careful. Sure. Yeah. Allergic reactions to egg can include something less intense like hives. That's a quote from one of the sources that I would mm-hmm. say hives are like crazy. Um, so hives I would, sound pretty intense to me. I would call them lie. pretty intense. I thought that was a little bit of an undersell. Yes. Have you ever seen hives? I'm like, um, okay, so whatever. But hives are pretty common in yeah. an egg allergy reaction. You can be like congested and you can have vomiting. Um, and of okay. course the extreme on like most of these that we're going to run through is like anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. So prevention tips. Um, yeah. Avoid eggs. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounds like a dove <laughs> yeah. moment, right? Like dove. Oh, but most people are say. actually only allergic to the egg yolk yeah. and not the egg white. Oh, I didn't know that. But you don't need to assume that egg whites right. are fine because of cross-contamination. Mm-hmm. If you're allergic to chicken eggs, you're most likely also allergic to other eggs. So avoid those two. Who knew? And basically, you have to just work through these with your allergist um, yep. and to figure out how to, like, live a safe life if you are like, I have got to have eggs. Yeah. And I think that egg is kind of like um, milk in, like, the cooking thing, number one. Yes. But also... It's in eggs are in like everything. Like there's yeah. so many things that eggs are in that I would not have expected eggs to be in. Yeah. In fact, I'm about to list um some things that are, are like avoid foods that contain eggs and or any of the following ingredients because those also contain eggs. So like unfortunately, yeah. people with allergies have to read the back of all of these products, right? And they have to be super, super cautious. So I'm going to do my best to read some of these words. <laughs> um, and I'm going to start with the, with the bop. Albumin. Albumin, yeah. No, oh, I did my best. I don't know. Apovitellin. Uh-huh. Ap- Apovitellin, yeah. Wow. Avidin globulin. I feel like you gave me eggs on purpose when you looked at this up and you were like, let's see what Jess can do. <laughs> I'm impressed. I would have just cut this list. <laughs> oh, egg, obviously, which yeah. is, it can be dried, powdered, solid, white, the yolk. Yeah. You just have to be aware. Eggnog, duh. Lysozyme. Mm-hmm. Mayonnaise, mm-hmm. which I can read. Meringue. And meringue powder. Oh, ovalbumin. Ovalbumin. <laughs> <laughs> um, ovumuk. I don't know. You're good. Lists of of O words, right? There are some O words. Yeah. We'll link them in the notes. Vitellin. Mm-hmm. Yep, those things. And eggs are also sometimes found in these following things. So that list of scientific words are like okay, but also they could be in baked goods. Obviously, you mm-hmm. have to consult with your allergist if you. If you want to eat them, like just be careful. Right. Breakfast foods like pancakes and waffles, breads, um, not only in, but also they're often coated with an egg wash, like on top to make the, the, the crust shiny. Would not have even thought of that. Right. Me either. Cake decorations or fillings like buttercream, frosting, mousse, chips, crackers, egg substitutes, which you, how are you going to call yourself an egg substitute and have egg in it? But. I digress. Okay. Um, Hollandaise, ice cream, <laughs> custard, sorbet, everything good. Something I can't pronounce. Marzipan, marshmallows, nougat, basically delicious treats. Pasta, which is disrespectful. Oh, no. Pretzels. The be- disrespect. The disrespect. Because sometimes pretzels are covered in egg wash before they're dipped in salt. Why y'all putting eggs on everything? <laughs> Literally, salad dressing, souffles. Um, specialty coffee drinks and bar drinks, like sometimes eggs yep. are used in them, and tortillas. I went to a bar, like a fancy bar, like a fancy pants bar. Yeah. And they, um, I asked for like a whiskey sour or something like that, right? They put an egg. And he crack, crack, cracked an egg and put the egg white in it. And I was like, sir. What? Why? What are Does you a drink doing? that I normally see made with like a mix? Yeah. Or like Sprite. Why does that have an egg in it? I would like the cheap one, please. And he said that that's like what they use is like a foam topping on like bar drinks. Yeah. He's just like, most people don't watch you make the drink, so they don't think about it. But it's like, it often has an egg if it's got like a foamy layer on top. So that's what I know about eggies. Moving on to number three, we're at thinned fish, which includes things like... Tuna, halibut, catfish, cod, salmon, and other, like, commonly eaten fish, right? 1% of the U.S. population has this allergy. And I feel like one when you say 1%, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's millions of people. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking lot. <laughs> Correct. And about 40% of the people don't have their first allergic reaction to fish until they're adults. There are actually more than 20,000 species of fish, so it's really difficult to come up with a complete list of every type that every person can be allergic to, but it's usually the ones that you would find in a seafood restaurant, which, by the way, you should avoid if you have a fish allergy. And part of that... Literally. Yeah, right. I mean, 
if it wasn't obvious that like there's nothing you can eat there <laughs> that won't potentially cause cross contamination, yeah, there's also cooking processes that aerosolize fish, like boiling or frying, mm-hmm. or even some people are sensitive enough that aerosolizing the oil that fish was fried in can actually be equally as harmful as ingesting it. So inhaling the particles of a boiled fish killed one 11-year-old boy who inhaled particles from a codfish that was being cooked in his grandmother's Brooklyn, New York apartment. He was two rooms away. Yeah, you know. Some of these allergies are, I mean, everything I've read, it's like, nope, big nope, nope. (laughs) It's unsafe. Like, you cannot be in the same building. Like, just... No. Exactly. I I never realized how sensitive people were to this kind of thing. Um, And so if someone tells you they have an allergy like this, that means none of it near them. None of it. Mm -mm. So that means no flounder, no grouper, no mahi-mahi, anything like that. And the protein inside most fin fish that makes people allergic to it is called parvalbumin. And it's basically found in muscle tissue, which is, duh, also the part that we eat. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, because you know I love sharks, oh sharks and rays actually have a different form of this protein in their muscle than most of the fish that we normally eat, which are considered bony fish. And sharks and rays are cartilaginous fish. You know I love sharks, and you know I had to bring this up. Oh, God. So. I don't even know what to say. So you can eat sharks is what you're saying. I mean, don't. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're endorsing the eating of sharks. I'm absolutely not. I'm actually part of a shark advocacy group. Oh, I'm not joking. Oh, my God. I forgot <laughs> about this. So people kill 100 million sharks every year and like fishing nets and stuff like that. It's a big problem. We can talk about that later. Anyway. Or we don't have to. <laughs> Fair enough. There are also some really unexpected sources of fish like a Caesar salad dressing. Yep. And Worcestershire sauce. Woosh- right. Perfect. Uh, foodallergy.org also mentions that there are lots of cultures where fish is a main staple of their cuisine yep. and commonly used to make the base for stock, like Chinese, Indonesian, Thai, and Vietnamese. So even if you order a fish-free dish, it's easier in restaurants that belong to one of those cultures to fall victim to cross-contamination. So not necessarily saying completely avoid those, which would be, number one, literally impossible for me because that's all I eat. Just make it extremely clear to the people who work at the restaurant that you cannot have fish even near your food, and most places will hopefully accommodate. Also, if it wasn't obvious, don't take fish oil supplements, which are gross anyway. (laughs) Why are they gross? Have you ever taken those? No. They make you burp and you taste like fish all day. Ew. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, but that's I've tried it one time because they were like, oh, it makes your hair so shiny. It makes me burp fish taste. No, that sounds disgusting. disgusting. Um, allergies to fish also cause the same symptoms that we've already mentioned a million times. And like the other allergens on our list can cause reactions ranging from really mild to really severe. And fish allergies don't necessarily mean you're allergic to shellfish, which is actually a different protein, which I'll talk about after Jess does her next one. Awesome. Um, So number four is wheat, gluten, and celiac disease. We, like, put them all together. Yeah. Um, Okay. First, I want to get in one specific thing. The wheat allergy, a gluten intolerance, and celiac disease, which is which and what is what. I'm (laughs) so glad you're explaining this because I literally don't know the answer. I thought they were all the same and spoiler alert, they're not. Um, Kind of same. (laughs) They're like not the same at all. And I was like, okay. So I was looking into food allergies, duh, hello. And I ran across these differences and I was like, oh shit, like um, even like celiac disease and gluten intolerance are totally different. Okay. And I was like, wait. So I had a coworker who could not eat gluten, and I believe she had like celiac disease because it was extremely strict. Like she was not, she was like 100% gluten free. Yeah. Okay. So celiac disease is an inherited autoimmune disorder that affects the digestive process of the small intestine. So the immune system of a person with this disease will attack against gluten mm-hmm. when ingested and does what we talked about last week by attacking and damaging healthy cells. And they are, like, kind of dumb. They're like, I gotcha. And it's like, wait, I'm a healthy cell. And they're like, too bad. Like mistaken identity, you, yeah. You got, got. And everyone's like, ah. So, um. Autoimmune diseases are a bitch, man. I can't. I, people who live with them, shout out to you. 
Honestly, mad respect. So basically the only effective way to battle this disease is to not eat gluten. Okay. Period. So how can you tell Tough. if you have celiac disease? <laughs> um, the signs and symptoms of celiacs can be super diff- different in each person and also between adults and children. So digestive sim- signs and symptoms for adults include diarrhea, fatigue, weight loss, bloating and gas, abdominal pain, nausea and vomiting, and constipation. And then... More than half of the adults with celiac disease have signs and symptoms unrelated to the digestive system, which include anemia, like Mm -hmm. an iron deficiency, loss of bone density, so like osteoporosis or softening of the bone, itchy, blistery skin rashes, um, mouth ulcers, headaches, nervous system injury, which is like numbness and tingling in the feet and the hands. Oh, wow. um, Possible problems with balance and cognitive impairment, joint pain, and reduced functioning of the spleen. So there is a blood test. So you will have a blood test for this. And if it comes back positive, then you need a gluten-free diet, period, point blank. Luckily, restaurants and like um, places that have are like hospitality focused have have come up with like gluten free, um, what word am I menus and things like that so that they can be more inclusive, allergy inclusive. But yeah. if your blood test for you have all these things right, and your blood test for celiac disease comes back negative, what the heck do you do? If you've been experiencing these symptoms, then you probably have a non-celiac gluten sensitivity or gluten intolerance, and this can be called like an NCGS. Okay, there is an estimated 18 million Americans that have a gluten sensitivity, which is like huge. So these are not celiac disease; these are separate sensitivities. That's wild. Yeah. These people are not allergic to wheat and do not have celiac disease. These people have reactions in the forms of these symptoms, but can't be diagnosed with either of those health-related issues. So they may experience the bloating. Who among us hasn't felt that before? Diarrhea, um, constipation, as well as like the mental fatigue regular fatigue or headache. And Sounds that like a typical Tuesday af- for me. <laughs> Literally. And this this condition can also affect your skin, like with rashes, dryness, and other conditions. Oh, wow. But those appear also in celiac disease. So your doctor may insist on establishing that clear connection between the symptoms and gluten. And this can be done with like a food diary and a symptoms journal so that you mm-hmm. can kind of process through like, why do I feel like this and what is happening to me? And then they will diagnose you with a, a gluten in, like intolerance or sensitivity and you'll basically live like a gluten-free life as well but you just do not have celiac disease that's so interesting right it's totally all different so a wheat allergy is an immune response to any of the proteins present in wheat which include but aren't limited to gluten and it's more common in children but about 65 percent of children with a wheat allergy outgrow it by the age of one okay so it's just like exposure like slow exposure and I don't know, like repetition, and then they're fine. But that doesn't mean they will grow out of it. So yeah, note note that. Sure. So symptoms can start within minutes of eating wheat, but can also appear up to two hours afterwards. And I hate that. Like, why can't you just eat it and then get a symptom so that you know that's what it is? Like two hours later, I could be a totally different person. Right. Two hours later, you could be chilling on the couch, like asleep, and be like, "Am I allergic to enjoying the couch?" My day? Yeah. <laughs> Am I allergic to loving myself? So I'm going to read you these um, symptoms of a wheat allergy. And there's like literally very little difference between any of the other things. Okay. So it's like nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, irritation of your mouth and throat, hives, rash, nasal nasal congestion. I can't speak. Eye irritation. Okay. Difficulty breathing. Um. Okay. So it's like always feeling the same, right? But you can get diagnosed with a wheat allergy and you can have a test for celiac disease. The gluten intolerance is one of those kind of like, oh, got to go down the list and check it out. Okay. An allergy to wheat doesn't mean that they're allergic to other grains either. So like you could be allergic to other grains, but also you could be fine. So it's just something you have to figure out on your journey of like your allergy. That's crazy. All of this to say, each of these are different, but either way, Restricting your diet is pretty much a must. And understanding which condition you have is important so you can avoid what you actually have an allergy to. So, like, if you think you have a gluten intolerance, it is possible that you either have celiac disease or a wheat allergy, and you need to decide, and not decide, you can't choose, you need to figure out which one yeah. it is that you have with an allergist or a doctor so that you can kind of navigate the rest of your life in a safe way. Yeah, and I feel like this is going to be whatever. This is going to be like a whole separate thing. But I feel like 
women tend to have more like I, I read a paper recently that women tend to have like twice as often have gut and GI issues. And so I feel like if you're if you're like me, I have GI issues all the time and I have no idea why. Yeah. And, and I, I think feel it's like because you you are just like, I have things to do. Yeah. Like I right. have to keep living my life. And everybody's like this. And I feel like you just kind of kick the can down the road. But especially if you have like hives or rash, like irritation in your mouth and difficulty breathing, like all of those things seem to be pretty much hallmarks of allergies. Yeah. No, you have got to see. I cannot stress this enough. See a professional. Yeah. Now, do your own research before. Are you talking to me or our listeners? <laughs> I'm talking to all the people. Okay. But like with, with the differences in like this specific section, like you have got to know which one it is. Yeah. And you need to know what you are allergic to and what you're not allergic to so that you can navigate your life safely. Yeah. And then when you figure that out, you advise your friends and family so that they can be like inclusive of your allergy too. And supportive, yeah. And that's wheat and celiacs. And that's what I know about wheat. Wheat. (laughs) Okay. Number five is... That was good. Thanks. (laughs) That means the other ones she didn't think were good. So that's good to know. No, I liked them all. But that was like... To me, I just... I, I... It's been bothering me that I don't know the difference between those things. And so it's, like, good to get clarity on that for me. Because, like, I know people who have celiacs and I know people who are gluten intolerant. And I, like, straight up didn't know what the difference was. So my grandmother got diagnosed um, with, like, basically what I took as, like, a type of celiac's kind of adjacent disease Mm -hmm. when she was, like, 70 years old. Wow. She loved to bake and she couldn't eat gluten and she couldn't... Oh, she was so mad. And some of these things, like, with celiacs, I know, um, because I had a good friend who you know that had got diagnosed with celiacs, and if you just keep eating gluten, like, you can, it can be a real fuckeroo. No, yeah, you don't Like, it can cause infertility, it can cause, like, cognitive symptoms, like... No. It can get crazy. A bitch will fall down. Yep. You gotta cut that out quick if you get diagnosed. Yeah. It's really okay. serious. So I made my grandmother for Thanksgiving like a gluten-free dessert. And she Aww. was like so pleased that she like took it around to all the guests. And she was like, this is for me. Jessica made me this gluten-free chocolate <laughs> I cake. I love that. It's not for you. <laughs> How sweet is that? Also, it's like with things like that, there's such simple yeah. solutions. Mm-hmm. Like using coconut flour, yep. making a flourless chocolate yep. cake. Like there's simple swaps that you can make to make it inclusive. Yep. It's so easy. Google it. Google it. Pinterest is your best friend when it comes to recipes. So there. Take that. So there. Okay. Number five is crustacean shellfish. I love this one so much. Um, crustacean. That's what I thought it said. I literally would have said that. <laughs> crustacean with a, like a French accent on it. Yeah. I don't know. I, someone stop me. When you said that, you know the... The cook in Little Mermaid. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about this entire time because <laughs> okay. he's a lobster. That's exactly what I pictured as soon as you said that. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, oh my god, y'all! I said that the cook was a lobster, but I meant to say the cook was trying to cook a lobster, and I just had to <laughs> correct that. I didn't even notice. Number one, I that's said what we he's do a on lobster. This like you say idiot. something, I tacitly endorse it. And then we yeah. get an email that's like, hey, you guys put this up. They better, that is pulled out of my memory if they do it, that. It would be, except that we have that blocker, yeah. that filter. Blizzock. Only positive things come our way. Crustacean blizzock. If it says mistake, it automatically goes to our spam, so. It says bye-bye. Don't add us. Okay, so number five, crustacean shellfish is the most common food allergy in adults. Eric actually has this one, so we have to be pretty careful about what we eat in certain places. Now, oh God. what I will say is Eric is always clowning on himself. You know this. Yeah. The other day, I ordered from our favorite Vietnamese place, and he bit into a spring roll that had a shrimp in it. And mm. I walked in and saw it, and I was like, Eric, spit that out! Spit it out right now! And he did... Well, I would have been like, Eric, are you dumb? (laughs) Correct. I was like, are you going to die now? So we sat there and like waited for him to have symptoms, but it never showed up. Thankfully, because after we've been doing the research for these episodes, I learned that Eric's EpiPen is 10 years old. 
and probably wouldn't have done anything to help him anyway. Not at all. You would have just stabbed him for no reason. Correct, people. If you have an EpiPen for your allergy, it has a shelf life of about five years. That's crazy. If you have an EpiPen, I want you to go check the date on it right meow. Pause this episode. Pause the... Pause Pause it. it. Do it. Okay, now go check the date on your EpiPen. Well, if they paused it, they didn't hear you say that. Okay, well, now pause it. (laughs) I I hate myself. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) I waited for them to pause it, too. And then I said the thing that I wanted them, whatever. Okay, go check it. Go check it. It's important. Yeah. What's wild about this one is that of all the allergens, it tends to produce a much more severe reaction than other ones. Mm. So shellfish include shrimp, lobster, crab, and mollusks like clams, mussels, oysters, scallops, and specifically those are broken down into crustacea, which is shrimp, crab, lobster, prawns, crawfish, and then the other category is mollusks. So that's squid or calamari, uh, snails, bivalves like mussels, uh, octopi, oysters, and scallops. And the major protein that causes the allergy here is called tropomyosin. Hmm. And it's one of the proteins inside the animal's muscle that helps with contraction or like flexing the muscle, right? Shrimp is the most common shellfish to cause anaphylactic reactions, but it's also the one that most people eat lots of. Yeah. In 2009, I couldn't find an updated stat on this, but in 2009, the average American ate 4.1 pounds of shrimp in a year. Just anticipated an increase. Right. I bet it's Bitches be hungry. (laughs) Bitches is hungry and bitches love shrimp. I'm bitches. Mm. Coconut shrimp. That's my jam. Oh, it's making me hungry right now. I am hungry. (laughs) But only 10 to 15% of people who were allergic to a crustacean in that first group of like crab and lobster were also allergic to a mollusk. So if you're allergic to shellfish, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're allergic to both. Got it. Even though they're all lumped together in that shellfish category. So if you ate shrimp and it didn't go well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have calamari. What I will say is, even if you're not allergic to mollusks, including things like octopi, I am of the opinion that you should never eat octopus anyway because they are insanely smart. This is a tangent. Got it. I knew right away. (laughs) Okay. I'm like, okay, tangent time. I love a tangent. There's actually evidence that octopi can use tools and solve puzzles. Like, they know how to open jars with their tentacles. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of a neurobehavior nerd, and you can feel free to call me one. But I am blown away by the fact that they can change the color of their skin to communicate with one another like sign language. Mm-hmm. And octopi have a favorite color. Yeah. So don't eat them. Yeah. All the other mollusks, be my guest. I'll be the first one at the oyster bar, but don't eat octopi. Literally, you will be. I love oysters so much. You and your mom. Okay, back to shellfish allergies. There's one super interesting study of kids living in Singapore and kids who were native to that country had a much higher prevalence of shellfish allergies than expatriate kids who had moved there, like American kids who moved there. And they're kind of hypothesizing that Asian countries eat more seafood than others. And there's some indication in allergy studies that geographic origin and genetics... I said organs and I want to die. (laughs) (laughs) Geographic organs. (laughs) I like it. Ay, ay, ay. Um, and genetics play a role in how prevalent an allergy is. So, like, seafood allergies are more common in, like, Japan than they are in, I don't know, Mexico. What's a country that doesn't eat a lot of shellfish? They don't? Germany. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't eat a lot of shellfish there. I didn't eat a lot of there. shellfish there. I didn't eat shellfish. Feels like I should know this. I did eat. No, same. Yeah, I did eat herring. It's also kind of landlocked. Okay, I don't know. I'll probably edit this out. (laughs) It sounds crazy. Perfect. Okay, one more fun fact. Last one. (laughs) Toxins found in the marine environment are tolerated at fairly high levels by many types of shellfish. So you can pluck a live oyster out of the water, and it may contain enough of these toxins to really seriously affect you, but it didn't affect the oyster at all, right? Wow. When you come into contact with one of these toxins, they can sometimes mimic similar symptoms to anaphylactic shock, like numbness or swelling of your lips and tongue, itchy, rashy skin, nausea, vomiting, etc., 
except neurotoxic shellfish poisoning is caused by ingesting the toxins produced by a dinoflagellate, which everybody's yeah. like, what the hell? Everybody is me. It's a single-celled organism that's basically considered an algae. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew. I was like, I knew I said dinoflagellate and you were going to look at me like I was crazy. What so, dinosaur are you talking about? <laughs> basically, it's a sea algae. Got it. Um, and it's called Karenia brevis. Mm-hmm. And these are the ones that produce what we call the red tides that are common along the Texas Gulf Coast. So unlike a shellfish allergy, like it mim- mimics the symptoms up to a certain point, And then exposure to this toxin eventually leads to a reaction in the nerves that people describe feeling like the most horrible thing I've ever heard. Ants are biting you everywhere in your entire body. Because ants hurt. Ants hurt bad. Like one ant bite and you're like, ow! (laughs) They described it as feeling like ants are biting you everywhere. Oh, hell no. Okay. It can also lead to slurred speech, ataxia, and paralysis. Jesus so Christ. So whether you're allergic to shellfish or not, if you experience any of these symptoms, it's important to seek medical attention ASAP because it could be a shellfish allergy, which, again, is like a very strong causer of anaphylaxis in adults. Yeah. Or it could be number two, which is neurotoxic shellfish poisoning. Which is arguably worse. Arguably worse. worse. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Hide your kids. Hide Hide your your wife. wife. That's crustacean shellfish. And don't eat shit out of the ocean. I love eating ocean creatures. I'm not going to lie. But not straight out the ocean. Maybe straight up. You got to go for something. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Like go to an oyster bar, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Have a cocktail while you sip an oyster. But not one with eggs in it. No. Okay. Number six. Let's talk soy. (laughs) Do it. Hate myself. <laughs> I loved it. So, an allergy to soy that's a product of soybeans is like hella common. It's a yeah. member of the legume family. Did I say that right? Yeah. Legume. Okay. Legume. And these allergies start usually um, discovered in like infants because mm-hmm. of the use of a soy based infant formula. So, like oh. new parents, make sure that you know what type of formula you are giving to your child. And if they have reactions like hives or something like that, you need to kind of adjust and, and speak yeah. to your pediatrician because it could actually just be the formula because it has soy. And it's like pretty common. Common. I almost said comalin, which is not <laughs> what I wanted to say. Yeah. But it would be like such a small adjustment to switch to a non-soy formula. I'm sure they have those, right? Right. Most children do and will outgrow this allergy, but some don't. So if you feel that you or your family has this allergy, please see a medical professional who specializes in allergies and I know I keep saying Mm -hmm. this over and over but like you have got to speak to an allergist if you feel like you're blanket statement right now and I just get very hype about that at this point so yeah this allergy has reactions like hives and itching in and around the mouth and is and as always like anaphylaxis is a possibility so like prep your epipens especially if like you have a child that has this allergy yeah Other symptoms can include, like, tingling in the mouth, right, those hives that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. and, and, like, scaly skin, so eczema. So some people are just like, oh, my baby has eczema, but actually your baby has eczema that's triggered by a soy allergy from the formula that they're drinking. Wow, who knew? And, like, you don't know because a lot of times people self-diagnose their children's eczema. yeah. And they're just like, I'll just use eczema lotion, which is fine, and because children usually grow out of this allergy you don't even learn that they had the allergy you yeah you could be literally giving your child a thing that makes them have eczema that's crazy right swelling of the lips face tongue and throat or other body parts which i was like what other body parts sounds terrible (laughs) what else is there (laughs) it sounds awful wheezing a runny nose like breathing difficulty abdominal pain diarrhea nausea vomiting skin redness um so like flushing yeah and then anaphylaxis causes, like, most extreme signs and symptoms, yep. which is, like, difficulty breathing, which is your throat swelling, shock, like a drop in your blood pressure, mm-hmm. a rapid pulse, dizziness, lightheadedness, or loss of consciousness. So Oof. as with most allergies, avoiding soy products and always being prepared is, like, the go-to. Yeah. In the U.S., like, soy must be listed mm-hmm. on the label if it's in the food. So you have to read all the labels, unfortunately, but at least it's there if it was in the production of that um product yeah lecithin is another oil that are often used and that 
oil is like random but also has soy products so it's off sometimes used in like chocolate candy peanut butter and margarine so you have to be careful with those too crazy and then there's other names that and this is why i i don't know i will read a scientific name if it means like you will then know that this could be a soy ingredient do it i'll do my best (laughs) (laughs) i hope so one of our fans literally came up to me and said i love when jess reads science words (laughs) I because I can't. So thank <laughs> they you. They love it. <laughs> but these other names could mean soy ingredients. So you okay. probably just want to be on the lookout for any of these names if they're on the ingredient list. Like don't eat it. Glycine, Max, <laughs> Glycine, Glycine, yeah, hydrolyzed vegetable protein, which is HVP, mono diglyceride, diglyceride, yeah. Oh. I feel like I've heard that word before, but when you see a word and you're like, diggly ride, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what? I love um, that. <laughs> monosodium. I thought that literally looks like a freaking um, uh, Pokemon. <laughs> it looks like to me. Monosodium glutamate, which is MSG. Yeah. So like, yeah. if those appear in the ingredients list, you just need to be aware that that could be and it probably is a soy ingredient. So steer clear if you have that allergy. And if you have that allergy, of course, like you probably already know this, right? But if your friend says they have a soy allergy and you are getting something for your friend, you also need to know that these things could be harmful. Yeah, absolutely. And MSG is often like an additive that you can ask them to take off. Yep, absolutely. You should be like, don't put it on and they won't. Yep, be careful at restaurants because there's often cross-contamination with utensils, mm. even if it's a soy-free meal. So, like, it, I've read several <laughs> articles that say, if they say this is a soy-free meal, you need to specifically say, and soy-free, it's utensils. Yep. And a soy-free cooking process and separate cooking spaces. Yep. And, like, be annoying because it's your right to be annoying. And allies, you be annoying, too. Yep. In my next one, I have a thing... Where a family was assured by their server that something was allergen-free, and then they had an allergic reaction. Happens all the time. So that's why I know about soy. Perfect. That was good, too. Um, Okay. Okay, people. Here's the big one. Number seven is peanuts. What do you mean? The big one, soy. (laughs) I feel like everybody knows about peanut allergies, right? Uh, Everyone knows that shit is real. Right. They're like, Um, And there's a good reason for that, but I'll get into it. So, number one, I want to start with this, A of all. When you type peanut allergy into Google, one of the top searches is peanut allergy and COVID vaccine together. Mm -hmm. So, just to clear the air here as like a science-y podcast, if you have a peanut allergy, you can and should get the COVID vaccine. There is nothing in it that is a peanut product. The only thing you might be allergic to in the vaccine is called polyethylene glycol, or PEG, which some people are or might be allergic to. The FDA is setting up a study right now to determine how problematic that will be, but they estimate that fewer than one out of every million doses given will cause a reaction. I thought you were going to say, if you... Think you're allergic to the vaccine? You might be allergic to common sense. That's what I thought you were gonna say. And then <laughs> That's you what went I wish down. I had said. <laughs> I was like, oh, but you didn't say it. <laughs> I shots fired. First of all, <laughs> shots fired. If you have concerns about the vaccine, I would highly recommend going to an allergist who will tell you you're fine, and then you should get the vaccine. Okay, let's get back to nuts. Periods. Um, physical symptoms of the allergic reaction, like we've already talked about a million times, uh, itchiness, hives, eczema, sneezing, asthma attack, abdominal pain, drop in blood pressure, diarrhea, and even for peanuts, cardiac arrest. Jesus Christ. Um, some research suggests that eating peanut products during pregnancy can actually reduce the risk of having a child with a peanut allergy. But this research is a little bit controversial among allergists and immunologists as to whether it actually makes a big difference. But one thing everyone agrees on is exposing a child who's between four to six months old to peanut proteins seems to reduce the risk of developing an allergy by between 11 and 25 percent. So... If you know an infant, (laughs) it's like a good time to think about peanut products. No, right? And basically, just like if you know one. Casually. Or have one of yourselves, I guess. Have one of yourselves. (laughs) 
I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> this is a... Is this rough? Is it going rough? No, it's going great. It's fine. It's great. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of okay. allergy talk. We're just going to have to cut, like, 70% of, of the nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or not. Whatever. People love it. Basically, what happens when you have an allergic reaction to peanuts is dendritic cells in your immune system recognize one of 12 known allergen proteins that peanuts contain and cause the type of immunoglobulin E-driven immune response that we talked about last episode. So despite the fact that only about 2.5% of U.S. children have an allergy to peanuts, it is probably talked about the most because it is the allergen most linked to anaphylaxis reactions of any age. Yeah. It's serious shit. It's very serious shit. And the prevalence of peanut allergies has actually been increasing steadily over time, especially in the U.S. And peanuts, like what we were talking about before with soy, was it soy? Soy is mm-hmm. a legume? Mm-hmm. Okay. Peanuts are actually also legumes belonging to the same family as soybeans. I should have read four words ahead. Okay, perfect. Peas, lentils, <laughs> and they're not a tree nut, so tree nuts, nuts. grow on trees. Tree nuts are from trees. Peanuts are from ground. (laughs) Peanuts are from little bushes. Yeah. About 20% of people with peanut allergies eventually outgrow them, so it's more common in kids than adults. A few different laws have actually been inspired by the experiences of families who unfortunately lost children to anaphylaxis reactions caused by peanuts. I mentioned in last episode the 2012 Amaria's Law in Virginia... Amaria Johnson was a seven-year-old who passed away after eating a peanut during recess at school. There's also Natalie Giorgi, um, and there's the Natalie Giorgi Sunshine Act in California, passed in July of 2019, after 13-year-old Natalie Giorgi passed away from anaphylaxis after suffering an allergic reaction to peanuts. There's also Geo's Law, which requires first responders in New York to learn how to use epinephrine auto-injectors, which if you're a first responder... Why the f*** don't you already know that? I kind of assume that they already did, but apparently it is not mandated by law in every state that they know how to use those. I'm not surprised. Right. And this law also mandates that first responders carry epinephrine auto-injectors in their vehicles. It was passed in 2019 after Giovanni Cipriano, who was a 14-year-old, passed away in 2013 due to an accidental exposure to peanuts. And then the last one I could find is SD680, which builds on a 2009 Massachusetts law, and it requires a server or individual knowledgeable about food allergies to serve as a liaison between food allergic customers and kitchen staff to avoid dangerous miscommunication, which I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, that's like a... Right? Sometimes when we discover things, I'm like, yeah, that's smart. Why the... Can we already done? Like why? I, right. I get angry. I'm like, why isn't that no, already same. the fact? Why is this not already a thing? And so this one came about because Nicole Arpierian's son, whose name is Trip, suffered a severe reaction after eating a pastry that contained peanuts, and they had been assured by their server that it was nut free. So that law is currently in legislation now and is about to go into effect in Massachusetts. Awesome. Um, we talked about this last episode, but if your state or your country doesn't have laws specifically making your country a little safer for food, people with food allergies, it's like the, the safest, most inclusive thing you can do is just to pass a law that's like, hey, somebody on site has to have an EpiPen. It's like so easy, right? And it literally can save a life. It's so easy. Just, like, get an EpiPen. I don't understand why it doesn't happen already. I don't understand why first responders don't have to carry EpiPens already. That's stupid. Can you imagine calling an ambulance and they get there and they don't have an EpiPen? I bet it's a cost thing. I bet it is, too, because they have to replace them every five years if they don't use them. Yep. So one of these laws, I think it's the last one, the GEO's law actually also requires that first responders take into account and catalog how many times in a year they've had to use their EpiPens so that other states can get that data and make the same conclusion, basically, that they need to have one. Good. And that's peanuts. And now we're on to tree nuts. Get those tree nuts. <laughs> so I hate it. this is the, one of the most common allergies in both children and adults. So there are six tree nut allergies most common, and they're walnuts, almonds, hazelnuts, pecans, cashews, 
wait. There are six <laughs> that are most common, but I listed a lot more because I found two <laughs> conflicting lists. I forgot about this. I found two conflicting lists, so I'm listing them all. Okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. Leave it in there. Pecans, cashews, pine nuts, lychee, lychee nuts, Brazil nuts, macadamians, and pistachios. Okay. Those are the tree nuts that you can be allergic to. I cannot pick six. <laughs> Correct. So that's a lie. You shouldn't. I think there are six most common, and I was like, yeah. but there's ten important ones, so I'm putting them all. But also, like, I don't even know what a lychee nut is, so it's probably the six that are, like, most eaten. Right. So about 50% of children that are allergic to one of these are actually allergic to another one as well. So wow. if you find out your child is allergic to almonds, it's just, like, safe bet to keep all of these tree nuts away yeah. until you get confirmation from an allergist. And I have a lot of feelings about... That is so scary. I would have so many fears Same. about that. If my child was allergic to one, I'd be like, you can't actually eat anything ever again. Only pasta. Correct. Thank you. I'd be a helicopter parent. Already am to my non-existent children. And they can't even uh, eat pasta with pesto on it because pesto has nuts mm-hmm. in it. Yep. God. Keep going. So about two-thirds of patients who are reactive to cashews or walnuts will also be reactive to pe- pistachios or pecans and tree nut allergies are not often outgrown wow so just settle in and stop eating nuts yeah you got them (laughs) when you when you get it you got them in the u.s um plain language labeling aka must label is required for the 18 different tree nuts and tree nuts are yeah as we said from trees peanuts are not (laughs) offs from trees otherwise it'd be in this list just so we're clear separate allergies it would suck to be allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. Yes, it would. I didn't even think about that. You can never have a nut mix. But about 40% of children who have a tree nut allergy also have an allergy to peanuts. So Damn, yes. can't catch a break. And tree nuts are not the same as sesame, sunflower, poppy, and mustard allergies. Those are separate allergies. Yeah. Also important. Symptoms occur from minutes to 30 minutes, um, all the way to like a few hours later, as they always do. Just ridiculous. Yeah. You have to be careful because like nut butters, nut oils, and natural nut extracts are also off limits for these people. And in the U.S., you must have these listed on products. So manufacturing Mm -hmm. processes must incorporate... it may incorporate, sorry, not must. I was like, wait a minute, they must? No, they don't. Manufacturing processes of, of other products may incorporate tree nuts, but they should list that. So it might not be a product in yeah. the thing that you're eating, but it might have been in the same room, and you have to list that as well. Yeah. But you cannot assume that safe food will always be safe, which is scary and yep. sad and true. So. Get your EpiPen and read the labels every single time because things also change in manufacturing. So you might be like, this is an example. This is not a fact. But say you're like eating Rice Krispies. You're like, Rice Krispies are safe. I don't know if they're safe. This is just an example. And then Rice Krispies changes their manufacturing and like starts producing like peanut. I don't know why they would do this like Nutter Butter in the same factory. And then you have. Cross-contamination, potentially. Mind. You know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful about manufacturing. Yeah, totally. And that's what I know about tree nuts. <laughs> okay, that was good. Number nine is sesame. So, okay, full disclosure, the order of these things depends on who you ask. But basically, sesame is considered largely the ninth most common food allergy among children and adults in the U.S., Starting on January 1st, 2023, sesame will become officially the ninth major allergen that must be labeled in plain language on packaged foods in the U.S., like what you were saying. Good. Yeah. Good. And that's basically a result of that 2004 labeling act that made food allergy labeling a requirement. Sesame is a weirdly common garnish on all kinds of foods that I did not even think about, like bagels and sushi and tahini. Why? It's literally, I mean, sesame to me on like a bagel tastes like nothing, but. Yeah, absolutely. And then it just nothing. gets everywhere. Mm-hmm. What's the point of a sesame seed? Anyway, whatever. I'm campaigning against sesame. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> bye bye, sesame. It's also relatively uncommon in the U.S. compared to other countries, but it's actually one of the leading causes of anaphylaxis in the Middle East, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. Oh, my God. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So if you have a sesame allergy, some foods to avoid include baked goods like bagels and burger buns, any kind of quote-unquote natural spice blend, 
that may include sesame, even if they don't say it, because remember, they're not actually required to label things with sesame until 2023. So does that mean that things that were manufactured before 2023 will not have the label? That is correct. It doesn't necessarily have the label. So they may, right? But they don't have to. Also, it's 2021, so we have so much time left. Right. Until 2023, they don't have to label it. If they're like a good brand and they're doing a good job. I don't know, because it just wasn't a law. I'm upset. Okay, some more things to avoid. Pita chips, hummus, uh, flavored noodles or rice often have sesame oil or sesame seed extracts. Protein bars, pretzels, sushi, some dressings and sauces, and even some lip balms or chapsticks. So, so everything good. Everything that I love in this world, you cannot have if you have a sesame allergy. And I'm so sorry for that. One super interesting thing about sesame allergies is that they're usually super delayed, partially because your body has to digest the seed casing that the sesame seed is inside of oh. before it comes into contact mm-hmm. with the allergen inside the seed. And that digestion process usually takes around 90 minutes. So you could eat a sesame seed at a restaurant, go home, and then 90 minutes later have a reaction. And you might not even know that it's sesame because you might not even know that it was you. Because it takes 90 full minutes to dissolve that seed coating. I'm upset. And so you could have eaten something else before then, right? I would have, arguably. (laughs) Several things. Same. Or drank something, at least. Inside the seed, there are multiple different types of proteins that are considered major allergens like globulin and oleosins. There's a law that was passed in England and Northern Ireland called Natasha's Law, and it was just passed pretty recently, that requires prepackaged foods to include a full list of ingredients after this girl named Natasha Ednan Laparus died in 20... Do you think I said her name right? Yes. Okay. But you shouldn't trust me because a girl can't read. I can't either. She died in 2016 after a reaction to undeclared sesame in a deli store sandwich at like a popular grocery store chain. The law was passed in September of 2019 and actually goes into effect next month. Uh, Similar bills like House Bill 3435 have been put forward in the U.S., sponsored by State Representative Jonathan Carroll, whose daughter has multiple allergies, including sesame. So that now requires that Illinois insurance plans provide coverage for EpiPens to people 18 and younger, which is not the case in every single state, and that all prepackaged foods sold list all ingredients, including sesame. That's good. So that'll go into effect, I think, this year. Um, also in April of 2021, this year, the United States House of Representatives passed the Food Allergy Safety Treatment Education and Research, or the FASTER Act, which is Senate Bill 578. It's a piece of legislation requiring that sesame be labeled on packaged foods and prioritizing and dedicating new, newly allocated funds to food allergy research. Good. So there is some good stuff coming out of all this. And that's what I know about sesame. And then we come on celery, which I know you're thinking, what? And I'm thinking, same. Um, That's right. (laughs) Celery allergies are real. And it's like pretty common, actually. Um, It's like Hmm. a pollen allergy. So it's... Sorry, what? I know. It's like considered a pollen allergy. It's really common in European countries like, like Switzerland, France, and Germany, where it is like the most frequent pollen-related food allergy, like the top. What? Yes. It's blowing my mind. Sensitization to celery has been shown to be also increasing in the general population from like 3.5% to like 6.3% from like 2010 to 2014, respectively. Okay. So like it's also on the rise. So watch out for celery. Wow. Some people with celery allergy may also experience symptoms when eating other seemingly unrelated foods, and it's like cross-reactivity is what it's called, and it occurs when Mm -hmm. your body's immune system identifies the proteins or components in different substances as being structurally similar or biologically related. They trigger the same response. So the most common cross-reactivities with with celery include cherries, peaches, hazelnuts, peanuts, and carrots. So if you're allergic to celery, sometimes your body identifies one of those other things as celery as the protein in celery and will give and will like react oh my in the goodness same way. who knew 
I know. So this allergy is super weird and can cause like photosensitivity in allergic individuals, which can result in like blistered skin after a small amount of sun exposure. It can also cause itching around the mouth, swelling in and around the mouth and rashes, which lead to like dermatitis, other things I can't read, asthma, and of course like anaphylaxis as well. Yeah. Celery stem is the most common culprit of this allergy, but people can also be allergic to celery oil and celery root. Wow. And celery is used as a spice in processed Mm -hmm. foods like soups and broths and salad dressings um, and obviously can be consumed alone. So you can also have, we talked about uh, cross-reactivity to like birch pollen and mugwort pollen as like grass pollen and timothy grass, they have been identified. So you could be allergic to celery and triggered by grass. Oh my God. So if you have an allergy to one, you may have an allergy to all just by the reactions of it, but it could all be linked back to celery. That's crazy. Unfortunately, to be diagnosed with celery, with a celery allergy, you have to have reactions to celery and then confirmed by a skin prick test using like crude celery, celery extracts and pollen extracts. So like, as always... The treatment is, like, to avoid it. Who knew? And you have to read a lot of stuff if you get, like, um, soups from cans or, like, some of those cool, like, bagged soups that are, like, yeah, cool new soup, like, healthy, fresh. No, not for you. Not Can't for you. Can't have it. Celeries. Man, that's crazy. Celery coming in hot. Relax. Your celery. Celery coming in real hot. Who even knew? Celery's a filler. I know. And that's what we know about allergies food allergies that's literally everything that we know about food allergies we're gonna link all of our sources for this episode including um the different laws and things that we mentioned we'll link all of those and this is the end of season two that's it so we'll see you in season three see you in season three please join us don't don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Quickly. Sooner than you think. Sooner than you realize. Bam, bam, bam. If you're thinking, what the heck? All these food food allergies. Where do I go for my information? You come here. You come to our social media yeah. and we'll direct you yeah. to all the cool things. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Like and subscribe. Smash the subscribe button. Smash it. Leave us a positive review so we feel better about ourselves. Just, like, be helpful and awesome, and that would be great. Yeah, we love a boost. We love a boost of positivity, and our favorite form of positivity boost comes from you and your... Yeah, comes from y'all. ...reviews that you leave us that are kind. (laughs) Your nice reviews. We like those. So be kind to your allergy-prone friends and be allergy inclusive and that's it yeah that's all you have to do join us join us on the allergy friendly side we here we in this okay bye 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 bye